Hello, John Terrell here. Welcome to Chateau Cube, where we talk about life, limited magic, and cube draft. It has been a busy time, you all. I am recently back from KubeCon, our very first KubeCon. It finally happened. It was in Madison, Wisconsin, October 20th through 23rd, 2022. What a time. Oh my goodness. We had almost 200 people attend our four-day celebration of Cube. The main event had 26 cubes, and there were so many other cubes that people brought for free play. We had awesome coverage that was streamed. I organized a roundtable discussion about math and cube design with friends from the Lucky Paper blog and podcast. Anyway, just an outstanding time, and I can't wait to run it back again next year. Also, I recently had a second cube featured on MTGO. That was the Cartographia cube. Wow, that was an amazing experience as well. Watsi contracted me to develop a brand new cube for the platform, and I had a ball putting that together. It's a land-focused cube. It also has Enchantress and all sorts of artifact shenanigans you can get up to. I think people had a lot of fun with it, and I'm very much hoping that I will be able to get data from Watsi once again and be able to make some observations about how people interacted with the cube. So what with one thing and the other, I am woefully behind in studying the new set releases. So here to help us catch up with the latest Dominaria release, I have my friend Stephen Conifal, who's been a guest on Chateau Cube before, and who's an awesome person, an awesome cube designer, and whose excitement about magic and its worlds is infectious. So without further ado, here's the conversation with Stephen Conifal. I got some dice lying around. Uh, let me. Oh, heck yeah. All right. Do you want to roll? roll? <laughs> yeah, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll roll for color where one through five is Wooberg, six is colorless, and then you roll for mana value. Awesome. That sounds good. All right. So I have got a two, so that would be blue. And okay, I rolled a six. Blue six. This is kind of a tough spot, I think, because do you even want to cast stuff that costs six and blue? I don't know. I've got an idea for a six drop blue spell. Um, and it's, but I'm blanking on the name. You have to help me out. It is a, I want to say it's a something epiphany from M21. It's the counter spell with sublime, sublime epiphany. Yeah. It's not, it's not on theme with Dom United, but that's the first thing I thought of for blue six drop. Sublime Epiphany. So for four generic and two blue, it's an instant. Choose one or more counter target spell, counter target activated or triggered ability, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, create a token that's a copy of target creature you control, and or target player draws a card. Wow, that's a heck of a card. I recall you know, playing this you know, a bit on... Magic Arena, whether you know I played it or my opponent played it, it pretty much yeah yeah pretty much closed the game. Um, it just kind of did what you wanted. You know, got rid of their threat. You made another of your own threat. Drawing a card can't complain with that. Um, and being able to stifle or yeah counterspell yeah it's almost yeah almost icing on the cake at that point. But yeah, the um, for what it's worth in that low powered you know, format. It does work. It's hard to get both of the first two modes at once, right? To both counter something and stifle something. Like, that doesn't come up that often. And not that this is actually a, a complaint about the card. It still, you know, does an enormous amount of work. 
I think the card is sweet. I run it in Petty Nobility, where um, games are slower and it's more, you know, Jenny Johnny oriented. Um, I don't run it in Aleasis because there I think it's just miserably slow, right? It's not where you want to be. You're going to get too much pressure to sit around and hold up six mana and do a bunch of stuff. It feels a little bit similar to Draining Welk, which is another six mana counter, and then you get to create a creature oh, out of it. Oh, for sure. But this is so much better than Draining Welk because Draining Welk simply can't be cast until you're here countering something, right? Right, you get nothing out of it. It's yeah, you know, it's like um, you know, it's worse than Mystic Snake. You, know, you can just play Mystic Snake on retail and just flash four mana two two. But the Draining Welk, you really want to be in for countering that spell and get the sort of mana drain um, analogy to just a bigger creature. I was playing Magic with my six-year-old earlier, and oh, nice. um, oh yeah, did he beat you? Oh, he did. Yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> he was playing a mono blue deck and I was playing a mono green deck, just some sort of kitchen table decks we'd put together, you know. And his MVP, which he insisted I take a picture of, was um, Frost Titan. So there's a there's yeah. a six mana blue big boy. Yeah. I'd I'd ramped out, I don't know what it was, something, you know, something with keyword big in green and <laughs> that was going to look to stabilize me. I think it even had reach because uh, he had a bunch of flyers too. And nope, Frost Titan hits the board and that's that. <laughs> that's the, that's the game over from our core green deck, yeah. Um, so that's cute. But I guess I'll give a shout out to a card I've been having fun with in the context of Cartographia, the new cube that I ran on MTGO, and that is Cyber Drive Awakener. This is from... I have no idea what that is. I know, I know. I just said a bunch of nonsense <laughs> words, right? It's from Neon Dynasty, but from the Commander, one of the Commander products. Cyber Drive Awakener is five and a blue for a 4-4 artifact creature construct. It has flying, and it says other artifact creatures you control have flying. That's pretty cool. And when it enters the battlefield until the end of that turn, each non-creature artifact you control becomes an artifact creature with base power and toughness 4-4. And of course, they're flying because this thing grants flying to everything. So it just pick, picks up all your rocks and your retrofitter foundry and, you know, all this, all this stuff you got lying around, experimental synthesizers or whatever. You're just nonsense artifacts sitting around the battlefield and all of a sudden they're flying four fours and you just, you swing in for a million with the, when this thing enters the battlefield. So it's kind of a cool artifact creature lord. So there's a very different design for blue, but um, I can get behind that. That's fun. Yeah, it's cool. And I like those, the in-soul artifact kind of effects and uh, like rise and shine. And, you know, we've got, we've got different ways of animating the inanimate. It's maybe similar to um, the Antiquities War a little bit in that as well. That's that saga that on the on the third chapter of the saga, artifacts you control become artifact creatures with base power and toughness 5-5 five, five until end of turn. That's a, a similar idea, but you get to see that coming from a mile away with the Antiquities War. For sure. Yeah, there's no reading ahead in that saga. No, one of the original sagas from, as it happens, uh, Dominaria. Um, yeah, our first go go around on it, and we are taking a second crack at it now. So I guess to introduce this uh, just a little bit, Dominaria United has come out, and we're on the verge of the Brothers War coming out. So I'm I'm feeling very behind on keeping up with all these magic sets. I've had things like CubeCon, 
which went swimmingly. And uh, I had that Cartographia Cube on MTGO. That is to say, I haven't been keeping up to date with the latest releases for, you know, the cubes that I try to keep up to date with. So I'm feeling like way behind. However, I've got an expert here uh, in the person of Stephen Conifal, who's an awesome cube designer and a wonderful person, um, just a, a pillar of the community. I'm so delighted that you're here and joining me, Stephen. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, John. I know you've got much more experience than do I with this set. You've been drafting this set. You've been thinking about it in terms of cube. I've thought about it a small amount in terms of cube because I have put a smattering of these cards in that new cube I designed, Cartographia. But I was really, that was like some quick cherry picking for things that fit well into that particular environment. And I, I just, I simply haven't sat down and gone through things with a fine tooth comb. So I am lo very much looking forward to getting uh, your insight. I was looking through the list, making my notes. There's reflection towards um, Elasis and Petty Nobility. I, I do think you know, this set does offer you know, a wide range for you know, different cubes outside of that as well. I think the set plays very well in itself. So if someone were to hypothetically make a set cube or a Dominaria-based cube, people that remember playing Original Invasion, um, I think, you know, which the set draws a lot of inspiration from, for sure, you know, it, it, is, it, it has a lot of cool things going on. And the limited play you know, in itself is just fantastic. You know, it is very, you know, very rich, um, even while being um, relatively simple compared to you know, sets that we've had you know, you know, recently, like the, uh, you know, like the Baldur's Gate set and Streets of New Capenna and Kamigawa that just... Yeah, you know, just just has a lot going on, and even a lot of the cards just feel like you're reading a novella. But here, it has very, 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 very clean stuff going on. Okay, so yeah, set is very low on one drops. So there's nothing that I thought that would be yeah you know, really helpful for yeah you know, your white or white red or white splash whatever aggro deck there's no savannah lions with upside in the set which makes sense because it is a very slow format so a lot of the time you're kind of building up basically your land base yeah you know, turn one turn you know two and things start to really get going around turn three in the set but there is a sorcery in you know, runic shot for one white uh, it destroys target tapped creature, but it has a kicker cost of a blue. If this spell was kicked, scry two. Now, I like it um, just at retail value. From a white, it destroys a target tapped creature. There are caveats, however. It is sorcery speed, and it can only target a tapped creature, which has the implication that in order to kill the creature that you know, is opposing you it had to have been it had to have attacked you you know at some point so you are taking a hit um so that's not necessarily great but the concept of being able to get rid of a threat for one mana and still potentially have you know, a play during your first or second main phase there's there's still some inherent value to that the kicker cost very inc very incidental you know the scry two it is night it's a nice to have but it's not a need to have so what i play this in a mono white deck most likely um but yeah um, but i don't know i don't know i'm curious how you feel about that in regards to your yeah keep sensibilities 
Yeah, okay. Well, I've got a story about this card, as it turns out. Ooh. I guess I'll give you my initial take on the card, and then I'll tell you I'll tell you the story when this card beat me up. You know, Swords to Plowshares, Path to Exile, wow. These are some cards right among the best removal in Magic. And it's awesome that this does a kind of impersonation of those, at least insofar as this is a single white mana pip to do a thing. Um, but as you say, the thing having to be tapped, that's, that's a drawback. Um, and a major drawback. And probably the even bigger drawback is the fact that it's a sorcery, obviously, because you could also rationalize this. Like the tap thing wouldn't be as bad if this were instant and you could um, runic shot them at instant speed before they uh, deal damage, right? Like after they've tapped to attack. That would be sweet, but we can't do that. So I'm sort of down on the card, but then I, I do have more respect for the card than it might it might sound like from my description of it so far because uh when i was at kubecon i was staying at a house with seven other guys an airbnb with seven other guys and seven plus one makes eight it seems like a perfect number to have a uh, eight person draft to me. <laughs> it does we dubbed ourselves the the maison the maison de cube, and there were a bunch of awesome cats there. And so I was playing the live the dream cube with David McDarby um, from Watsi and David Weiss, and they're the co you know the co designers of the live the dream cube that's been up four times now on Moto. Um, both awesome cats. Great Davids, yeah. I drafted a Boros aggro deck. I mean, aggro sort of in scare quotes because it's the live the dream cube, but which is to say that like a red deck wins deck isn't supposed to exist there. You know, like something truly aggressive isn't supposed to exist there, but I'd, I'd made a, a darn good try at it. And um, <laughs> I drafted a very aggressive deck and it curve capped out at four for Winoda and for Chandra Torch of Defiance. So I had a real lean, mean curve and live the dream cube. I was steamrolling people. Anyway, McDarby had an Azorius control deck and I had attacked him. So there was still that issue that I was putting damage in on him. But then he went runic shot into Snapcaster Mage into runic shot. And that felt like <laughs> that felt like a real beating. He killed two of my guys and he put a blocker up on the board. And that I mean, that really changed the shape of that game dramatically and um, increased my respect for Runic Shot quite a bit. Probably didn't even need to scry to. It was like, no, I'm good. You yeah, know, I don't think I, even scry. Pass, yeah. pass a turn. What do you got? <laughs> All right. Yeah, um, the next card that I have in white is Resolute Reinforcements. For a generic and a white, you've got a human soldier 1-1 one, one that has flash. And when Resolute Reinforcements enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 white soldier creature token. So this is an impersonation of um, Raise the Alarm, I believe, which is just a one in a white you know, instant that creates two soldier tokens. I like this because you have um, archetypes in Petty Nobility that care about tokens and blinking things, and this is... Something that plays into both, you know, being able to blink the you know, the resolute reinforcements, the card itself, to get another soldier onto the field. Yeah, that's great. I I love it. That's super cool. I love the call the call out to or call back to um, raise the alarm. That's that's sweet. And um, I mean, we've got another 
I just love how Watsy has these little in jokes or like, you know, things that it continues to cite over time. Like gather the townsfolk is like, you know, slow sorcery version of raise the alarm. The alarm's been raised and the, the townsfolk are coming shambling out of their huts or whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. This is, this is super cool. I like, you're entirely correct that in petty nobility blink is a thing that we might be interested in doing. And this is a good target for blink and that's important it's important that it's a two mana white spell that's blinkable for value because i've got a a long list of white two drop creatures in the cube and almost all of them like they just don't do anything if you blink them it's hard to find that in white at two there's like charming prince that does a whole host of things so that's cool Sky Skyclave Cleric is the uh, MDFC land from Zendikar Rising that could enter the battlefield as a tapped white source, or on the other side, it's a two mana one three that gains two when it enters the battlefield. So you could like blink that, you know, you could blink that dog and draw another card, Spirited Companion. I mean, maybe it sounds like I'm listing a lot of things, but honestly, I'm I'm not. So it would be cool to have another version of something like. Attended Night or the um, Eldrazi Sky Spawner or, you know, in in white and blue and black in particular, I think we've got these like three mana cards that'll give you an extra body that are blinkable, but that's harder to find in white at two. Yeah, I forgot about the Spirited Companion. And, you know, I almost think you could maybe consider do, doing a one for one up for that but i would think yeah the card draw would probably be a little bit more um valuable but it's still in a way card advantage because if you're blinking it you're just building up your board and you know is it better to just kind of you know see what's on the top of your deck or be able to you know you sort of build up your field how fragile is the strategy so on but yeah i forgot about the spirited companion and it's it's a tough call to be honest i actually as much as i like um just being able to kind of go wide and put creatures on the field i i think i kind of like the card draw just a little bit more but yeah yeah, yeah. draws cards it draws cards yeah, i mean yeah it draws it draws cards uh, i'm, I'm no. talking to the card drawing master right now of course you know i'm i'm being glib i can i can certainly see an environment where in resolute reinforcements is what you'd rather be blinking um i can i can see that if We've got Orcish Oriflam effects and stuff, and you've got this big go-wide thing, and you care about tokens entering the battlefield and doing things. But in a vacuum, if the question is, do you want to draw a card or do you want to create a 1-1 one, one token? And I know which I'm picking like all the time. Yeah, absolutely. The next one is Argivian Cavalier. For two generic and a white, you get a 2-2 two, two Orc Knight that has Enlist. As this creature attacks, you may tap a non-attacking creature you control without summoning sickness. When you do, add its power to this creature's power until the end of turn. When Argivian Cavalier enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 white soldier creature token. We have seen this before. I think it was in M13, actually. It was a Tended Knight. You get, for two and a white, you have a 2-2 Human Knight. It has first strike, and when Attended Knight hits the battlefield, you create a 1-1 white soldier creature token. You know, it's, you know, I wouldn't think of it as necessarily a one-for-one swap. You know, I think, you know, the difference between Enlist and First Strike is, 
not ignorable, but I do like enlist as a new combat oriented ability. Um, I've been treating it as as a pseudo exalted, so sort of you know version of that where maybe you have you know a couple creatures with exalted. Your attacks don't necessarily seem to line up. It doesn't make sense to kind of go all in, but you attack with this one creature. Yeah, it gets a little bonus, and so your opponent may be forced to make some difficult blocks. And enlist it plays very similarly in Dominaria United, where you don't really want to. Yeah, swing with yeah all all of your creatures. So yeah, that's cool. It's an interesting card, and enlist is interesting. So enlist is the like spelled out banding, right? Isn't isn't it banding that this is? Yeah, I mean, I understand that they're doing banding, so this just isn't the way it can work. But I wish every time I read enlist that it worked like convoke, in as much as I could tap whatever I wanted, darn it, and it doesn't have to not have summoning sickness you know what i mean which i think is the a caveat that i have with it is that the just the explanation of the ability is not very clean and mm-hmm. you know he's just being able to you know just have the creature that you play just be able to tap it and just kind of you know go for the endless i wish it worked differently which is kind of dumb but I mean, I guess the, the, a slightly different uh, objection here is this mechanic and the way that it's phrased creates some additional cognitive load for drafters because yes. when we're used to this kind of effect with things like Convoke, as I said, or with things like crewing vehicles, I at least am used to the idea that I get to do these cool things and tap things for value into something else without caring about the status of summoning sickness. And that's just how it works. You know, it's like one of the benefits of dropping your smuggler's copter on turn two and then playing anything on turn three and getting to tap that thing with summoning sickness and go to town immediately. It's a great example. Yeah, it really does add some unneeded confusion for sure. All right, the next one, I'm not sure where it would go. It is Anointed Peacekeeper. For two generic and a white, you get a 3-3 human cleric with vigilance. As Anointed Peacekeeper enters the battlefield, look at an opponent's hand, then choose any card name. Spells your opponent's cast with the chosen name cost two more to cast. Activated abilities of sources with the chosen name cost two generic more to cast, or two generic more to activate, unless they're mana abilities. I've played with this card, and I've played against this card, and it is absolutely annoying. Um, it is a it is a pain, um, but we've seen white do effects um, with this recently with the um, Palo Vito Damadorosa card, very you know similar to that gums up you know maybe the next spell that they were thinking about being thinking about casting or even something that's already on the field that um you know they your opponent would most likely you know have to work around you know, a little bit harder such as activating a planeswalker ability or something of the ilk yeah that's cool i like this white taxing effect that's very sweet and i do like that it, well, it it does a whole bunch of stuff i mean it lets you see their hand it does this peak thing which already has some amount of value attached to it right that ability um and then you can mess with their hand and their ability to cast their hand or yeah mess with stuff that's already in play or that they've cast through the tax you know and now it's in play and now there's still this additional tax all of that's very cool Next card, Night of Dawn's Light. For a generic and a white, 
you get a 2-2 human knight. It has first strike. If you would gain life, you gain that much life plus one. And it has an activated ability for a generic and a white. Knight of Dawn's Light gets plus one, plus one until the end of turn. Two mana, two, two, first striker. Themes, great rate, you know, right off the bat. You're in a cube that has a life gain strategy. This is life gain plus one. And it's pumpable or has the threat of activation of being pumpable. Just being able to swing in and having the first strike makes blocking really, really tough. And yeah, very um, clean card with um, a lot going on that, you know, just very, very good on right. Yeah, for sure. I'm with you. That's it's a slam dunk in the cube. It engages with these synergies, as you discuss, like the life gain deck is going to love the thing. And also, I mean, as you say, it's a totally unembarrassing card to slam down on turn two. And you've got this bear with first strike. All right. Next card, we have Sarah Paragon for two generic and two white. You get a 3-4 angel as flying, and once during each of your turns, you may play a land from your graveyard or cast a permanent spell with mana value three or less from your graveyard. If you do, it gains when this permanent is put into graveyard, put into a graveyard from the battlefield, exile it, and you gain two life. This is basically a four-mana version of Luris that can't be lightning bolted easily, and it has an evasion. Um, I think... It's it's great on rate, and it has a very fantastic graveyard, you know, playing ability that, um, you know, like, you know, like Luris does um, without the um, companion bit, which may be appealing to some other players. You know, there's a lot of criticism for companion, you know, as an ability in general, and I don't know if that's speaking to constructed formats, but I like what this card's doing. I like the flavor of it. I like the story that it tells. Um, This is very excellent utility, and it can absolutely bring you back late game game as well as just being a strong presence early game i love this card this is one of those cards that i put in cartographia and that's an environment that has a huge lands theme and it runs double fetches there as does aleasis for that matter so i mean thing number one obviously is you can recast fetches with this card and fetches are like pinging you a little, very slowly draining your life. And that's kind of annoying. But then she just gives you some life. You crack that fetch for the second time and you've paid two life to crack it twice. But all of a sudden she just pays all that life back and you're in and you're even, but you're up a couple of lands. That's great. Yeah, you're whole. So the next card I have here is Danitha Benalius Hope. For four generic mana and a white, you get a legendary creature, Human Knight, that's a 4 4 with first strike. Vigilance, Lifelink. And when Danitha Benali's Hope enters the battlefield, you may put an aura or equipment card from your hand or graveyard onto the battlefield attached to Danitha. Five mana is a lot, but you're getting a very strong creature on rate for that. You know, it's first strike, vigilance, lifelink. Those are it's a nice constellation of abilities just at the at the floor. When it hits the field, if you have an ore in the yard that has gone to the wayside that you haven't cast with your Sarah Paragon already, or um, even if you're just trying to do sort of a two for one, you've gotten equipment in you know, your hand that you haven't played because you spent your five mana just casting you know, this night. 
yeah, just yeah, you know, just slap it on, and now your Danatha's got a bone splitter, even for something as simple as that. Now you've got a yeah. six four. Right, with first strike vigilance and lifelink, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> right. So yeah, this is a, this is a cute. This is so this is a cute card to me. You know, it's not gonna. I don't think it's making or breaking any cube formats, but you know, I I do think this is you know you know, you know a cute cube card. Um, and probably fairly inexpensive for people that like this sort of yeah you know, gameplay and limited. Fair enough. I wish the card could also pick something up off the field. That would be sweet. That's the one thing that I think is missing that, you know, that I, I 100% agree. That would have been, you know, super nice. All right. Next card is Leyline Binding. This is an enchantment for five generic and a white. It has flash and it has domain. This spell costs one generic less to cast for each basic land type among lands you control. And when Leyline Binding enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls until Leyline Binding leaves the battlefield. At the floor, this is a five mana Oblivion Ring with Flash, assuming that you're at least playing with Plains cards to cast this white spell. But if you're a cube that is basically tasting the rainbow, you've got 50 lands to fix up all your color fixing and you're getting really greedy with the mana base yeah this essentially becomes a one drop this is the in in magical christmas land this is the enchantment version of swords of plowshares that depending on how you build your cube could be very difficult to get rid of i don't know how valuable disenchant or naturalize effects are but i think this card is you know very very good and i think if you're playing with triomes and shocks and the ilk i think this is going to be a very effective removal spell in your white or white splash i'm with you i think this card is great i think it makes an interesting comparison to prismatic ending from um, modern horizons 2 it's a sorcery for white and x and it has converge exile target non-land permanent if its mana value is less than or equal to the number of colors of mana spent to cast this spell. So you could pay just a single white and you could exile something that's one MV or less. But as you can feed more colors into it, you can get bigger things. And that's a sweet card. I like Prismatic Ending. But Prismatic Ending is very different from this card because they're being costed in sort of opposite ways based on how they're scaling which I may be making no sense, but for Prismatic Ending, you need the colors to get the bigger stuff, but you got to pay those colors into it, so the casting cost is getting more and more. Whereas in the case of Leyline Binding, you're starting at 6 mana, although, as you say, really you're secretly starting at 5 mana because you've already got white, presumably, if you're casting this thing. You probably have planes. And then the cost is getting reduced and reduced as you got more colors figuring into the matter. And it has flash, which is, you know, better than a sorcery speed thing, although the enchantment can be blown up. Yeah, your ley line binding is almost better late game as you're building your board and your mana base, whereas... Um, that's true. Prismatic ending. That's almost, yeah, good regardless of what stage that you're in the game. Yeah, you know, you're playing, you're, you you drop your planes, turn, turn one, they go turn one, birds of paradise, it's as if, all right, I'm just going to get rid of that. So, And you can do that. All right, let's move into blue. There's a few cards in here. The first one I want to bring up is Shore Up. 
This is an instant that costs one blue. Target creature you control gets plus one, plus one, and gains hexproof until the end of turn. Untap it. This is a very neat con- combat trick. And, you know, being, being an instant in, in Dom United, it worked really well with you know, the creatures that cared when you cast your instant and sorcery spells to get pumps. It didn't have prowess um, explicitly, but prowess-like. And this is a fine combat trick and a good counter against, you know, Doomblade and the Elk of, you know, removal. It makes, you know... It, attacking or blocking a little bit more favorable for you yeah this is a this is a cute card cute cube card that um i think was worth you know, considering but i'm not sure which environment that you would prefer to have it outside of a you know sort of a blue or blue red spells kind of matter deck it reminds me of rangers guile and i'm sure there's plenty of other cards like this rangers guile is a single green mana for an instant that gives plus one plus one and hex proof doesn't do the untap thing though Right. And that's a cute trick that can like come out of nowhere and blank opponent's removal or something very inexpensively. That's a that's a cool thing. I, I cubed that once upon a time. I haven't in a long time. I totally see what you're saying, though, that Shore Up, it's not only got the upside of untap it, but it's got the upside of blue, where, as you were just describing, actually casting spells is often more meaningful than the same kind of endeavor that we're doing in green. Absolutely. Almost you know, two different cards, even with or without the untap clause. Next one is Timely Interference. This is also an instant for one blue, and it does have a kicker of a generic in a red. And it reads, target creature gets minus one, minus O until the end of turn. If the spell is kicked, that creature blocks this turn if able. And, wait for it, draw a card. Yes, draw a card. Music to my ears. <laughs> exactly. I so yeah, I, I think that's the that's almost the key to the spell, right? It's that it's what it's essentially one blue draw a card. And there's been instances where I've played this or other people have played this where end of turn I'm just gonna target my own creature just to effectively cycle this spell and maybe just to get a get a trigger or just to make the draws smooth out you know a bit better so i think you know and more often than not this is just you know going to service that again it's in blue it's going to trigger prowess and prowess like abilities it replaces itself yeah yeah i mean i think you preach it better than i or you know really anybody else can as far as the value of you know what's worse than one blue draw a card you know what what else are you going to do with your mana you know but i i do like that if you are in the blue red spells deck that this does force some maybe undesirable blocks for your opponent to commit to and it has that small advantage of making that opposing creature just a little bit smaller or a little bit uh, less likely to kill the creature that's coming coming at them. Blue to draw a card, I'm, I'm all about that. I love like um, Hieroglyphic Illumination, for instance, from Amonkhet, the three and a blue instant that says draw two, or you cycle it for blue and it just replaces itself for a single blue. And I love that. Love that flexibility. It's an overcosted divination on the one hand, but on the other, you can just trade it in for a single blue. There's creatures like that too, like um, Curator of Mysteries. Isn't that the name of it? Two blue, blue for a four, four flying Sphinx. Yes. 
curator mysteries is uh, too generic and too blue for a 4-4 flying, but whenever you cycle or discard another card, you scry one. Um, so, I mean, and I'm looking at your list now, it's organized by CMC, and I do see the hieroglyphics listed in your one-drop slot. <laughs> and I also yeah, see yeah. curator also yeah, yeah, yeah. one-drop slot <laughs> and... Boon of the Wishgiver, you know, yeah, yeah. which I'll read out loud. It is a one drop, but as I'm reading it, it's four generic and two blue for a sorcery. So, mm, all right, what are what are we what are we getting for sorcery speed six mana? You draw four cards. That seems pretty good, but you're probably going to use it cycling for one generic to pitch it and draw a card. So, yeah, the the, the value in being able to just kind of you know you know Xerox through your you know, deck to the pieces that you really need people think i'm people think i'm crazy this was true too as i was watching people drafting um cartographia people just kept passing or like making fun of cards that i think are totally legitimate cards that people need to pay more attention to so another one of these is wind color avon it's a six mana creature it's four blue blue for a bird wizard and it's a four three flying and you know that doesn't sound exciting it's a four three flyer for six mana it also cycles for a single blue. So this card, I, any time, any blue deck, I'm sticking this card in. I don't care because like most of the time I'm cycling it and that's fine. It's totally fine. It just reverses itself. I get, I get to redraw and I have this thing in the yard and maybe that's useful to me in some way. If nothing else, it's helping to feed some, um, you know, delve or something. I don't know. But if it's like late in the game, I draw this thing and suddenly it's action, you know, and I'm totally happy to spend six and put a four, three flyer into <laughs> to play, you know. So I love that. I love that flexibility. It looks kind of dorky, but card does a lot for a person. The thing about Windcaller even, though, is that it's not you're not just cycling it, but there's opportunity for playing it as a version of Jump from Alpha, which, you know, you mm. pay the blue, you give a creature flying until the end of turn. So, you know, you're looking at... Uh, you know, a battlefield that's, you know, not great, or if you just need to get in for the win, you just cycle the Avon. It's like, all right, my best creature has flying. You can't block it. You know, good luck. You know, what do you got? That's great utility. The next card, you know, I'm more curious what you may have to say, but I think this is cute. It's Academy Loremaster. This is a, for for blue-blue, this is a human wizard 2-3. At the beginning of each player's draw step, that player may draw an additional card. If they do, spells they cast this turn cost two generic more to cast. So this is a version of Howling Mine on a 2-3 Human Wizard, which, you know, I don't see Howling Mine in any of your cubes, and I'm kind of quickly scrolling through the Cartographia cube. No, no Howling Mine. to see one. No, no Howling yeah. Mine. All right, spoiler alert. Course of portal, yes. One-sided Howling Mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but it, it's a creature in the field, so there's you know board presence there. You are giving your opponent the opportunity to you know, draw draw a card, so it is you know, symmetrical in that. But you know maybe the blue deck wants to just draw the additional card, pass the turn, and then just kind of hold up you know, essence scatter or counter spell in the ilk and you know, mm -hmm. just kind of you know, have you, you know, have your opponent play on your turns. And then at some point, you know, just don't take the free draw spell. Just don't take the free draw to just play your spells at retail and build up your board and so on. But yeah, I think this card is cute. Yeah, I can see that. It's a scary card 
because, I mean, howling mine is scary to me, especially since you're giving your opponent priority on the drawing to get the initiative and drawing. But I totally see what you're saying, that this is a this is a cool role player in a deck that really does want to play at instant speed on opponent's turn. And, I mean, let's be real. What blue deck doesn't want to play at instant speed on opponent's turn? That's like, that's the dream. That's what we want to be doing. Yeah, so I can see that. I think the cards. I mean, the cards kind of scary to me personally, but I can I can see the <laughs> I can see the value of it. Yeah. Next card is Joint Exploration. This is an instant for a generic and a blue. Yeah. Scry two, then draw a card. But it has a kicker cost of a green. And if this spell was kicked, you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. So this is, in my opinion, an easy replacement for. Deliberate, and I know you're playing with joint exploration in Cartographia, in mm-hmm. the I believe it's the Petty Nobility. Um, this is um, just very much a version of Deliberate with a bit of upside. If you're splashing green, you know I think this is solid. Simic is my jam, but trying to be unbiased you know, about this, I think this is totally fine in a blue deck that doesn't play green deliberates one in the blue for an instant that says scry two then draw a card so you're comparing these two cards and that makes total sense because this card is deliberate but it's got the additional kicker for a single green which lets you do an additional thing which is like this explore kind of effect throw down another land card you can even play a land on opponent's turn using this which is cute right i mean you can imagine triggering landfall on your opponent's turn or something like there could be a reason that that you might want to have a surprise land on their turn so that's a cute card it works especially well in cartographia i think um where we care even more about lands and yeah i'm i'm with you see what you're saying this is a strict upgrade really to deliberate world of possibility yeah next card is aether chandler it is a creature human wizard for two generic and a blue, and it's a 2-1. When Aether Chandler enters the battlefield, choose one. Create a 1-1 white bird creature token with flying, or return another target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, or, wait for it, draw a card. Yes! So, <laughs> so I, I noticed in the Petty Nobility, you basically have um, three three-mana creatures that each have one of these abilities you have <laughs> awesome. a, you have you have aven eternal which is for two and a blue a zombie bird warrior with flying that when it enters the battlefield you amass one but effectively you you get a one one and a two two for two and a blue and you have cloudkin seer which is two and a blue for two one elemental wizard with flying and when it hits the field you draw a card oh i love that card right <laughs> and then you have exclusion mage which is for two and a blue a human wizard a two two that when it hits the field you return target creature and opponent controls to its owner's hand and this card basically has you know, one of you know, each of these mm-hmm. and I, my recommendation was maybe replacing the Exclusion Mage, but in hindsight, I wonder if this is almost too powerful in comparison to the, the other three or even just Exclusion Mage specifically. You know, I don't think it's going to be format warping or defining, but I think this is a very strong card worth considering that, you know, if you're playing with, you know, Man of War, that this would be an easy 
upgrade. And I like the versatility that maybe they don't have anything worth bouncing. So maybe you just draw a card or maybe there's value in getting a 1-1 white bird that can get in the air if your attacks and blocks just don't look great. And if you're playing in blink, this is a phenomenal blink target. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. The card's great, super flexible. I love all those options. I love that we're getting cards that have all these options like this. We've seen some other cute ones like um, Callous Blood Mage. He's two and a black for a 2-1 Vampire Warlock. And when he enters the battlefield, choose one. You can either create a 1-1 one, one black and green pest creature token that, you know, when it dies, it gains one. Or you can draw a card and lose a life. Or you can exile target player's graveyard. I mean, I love that. I love this guy so much, too. If I'm being honest, 90% of the time I'm doing that, I'm trying a card, right? And I strongly suspect that Color me shocked. Yeah, with this guy too, it's going to be pretty similar, but I can totally see, especially later in the game or you're in a tight spot or whatever, you you know, bouncing the thing, which the black creature can't do, you know, bouncing the thing could be useful. Bouncing a thing is better than exiling a graveyard often, unless you're facing a very specific deck. It's going to be more often sort of generically better to bounce something. So this is even better than the black one, I think. This hasn't happened to me, but I'm sure somebody has had the booster pack in Dominaria United draft where they open this and they open Phyrexian Rager, and it's a matter of do I want to play black or do I want to play blue? Because um, it's, you know, yeah, it's, you're almost comparing the same, you know, they're almost the yeah. same card. It's just, you know, what, what color you want to go into. That's true. Um, ni neither here nor there. I don't think, yeah, you know, I, I think I would take the. Aether Chandler, but I mean, all, all, you know, what was a great thing about that set is that there was really no terrible deck. So you could almost just kind of go with whatever you want. But obviously, I think that Chandler would be the easy pick over the, the Rager. Yeah, that's cool. And it's a funny reminder of how far we've come or how much design has changed over the life of Phyrexian Rager. Because I'm sure you remember there was a long moment in time in cube design where Phyrexian Rager was like, a black creature that was very often run because there was such a dearth of reasonable black creatures, you know, and like three mana and so on. That was a real card, which isn't to say it can't be a real card today. But, you know, we've got we've got many more options today. Absolutely. All right. Next card is Hadi Jin. This is a creature Jin for a generic and two blue. And it has a power of star and a toughness of four. It has flying. It also reads, Hadi Jin's power is equal to the number of instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard. And your instant and sorcery spells cost one generic less to cast. So, do you like casting spells but hate opposing volcanic hammers? <laughs> I've got the card for you. Um, I'm not sure where this card is going to fit in either Alasis or Petty Nobility. Probably leaning Petty Nobility, but... I think this is a absolutely fine card in blue. Um, not even a build around because if you're playing blue, you're probably playing this card, and it's probably paying off. I'm not getting like super excited about the card, but I totally see no. what you're saying that it's a it's a totally fine card. It's got that effect like Goblin Electromancer or like Baral. It's more expensive, and so I don't I don't cube in any of my cubes currently. Goblin Goblin Electromancer or Baral. Mm -hmm. Both two mana spells, Electromancer, of course, being gold, red and a blue for it, and Brawl's one and a blue. I haven't actually found this a static all that useful 
which isn't to say that it isn't useful and it doesn't do things. It certainly does. I think it's at its best in bell-based combo-oriented environments, like in Storm, obviously. If I put it anywhere, I think just as you say, yeah, petty nobility seems like a better spot for it than Alaysis, where I worry in Alaysis it's it doesn't bring enough value to the table on its own. Sort of a baneslayer kind of kind of problem it faces in Alaysis, I think. Fair comparison, absolutely. Uh, next card is Tolarian Terror. This is a creature serpent for six generic in a blue and a five five, but. This spell costs one generic less to cast for each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard. And it has Ward 2, which reads, Whenever this creature becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, counter it unless that player plays too generic. This is, this is a tough card to get around, but if you are playing the deck where you are cycling your Boon of the Wishgiver, your Hieroglyphics, your playing your opt, your consider, you know, this is a pretty inexpensive card to cast you know, as the game goes on. And I, myself, the most I have done, I've played two Talarian Terrors for one in, in, in a match and still had a card left to leave my opponent wondering, geez, what else does he have? <laughs> oh, wow. And, awesome. and it, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it, it's great in the right build around. And I kind of warmed up to Ward. Um, I used to be a fan of Hexproof, but I can, I've, I've sort of grown to see where Hexproof is placed on creatures that just seem insurmountable. I think um, Talarian Terror is easily, or at least can easily be a one-drop you know, late game and you know, a lot of cubes and... Um, it, it makes for you know, good interaction. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. If you're playing the kind of deck I love playing, and in the sort of cubes that I designed that allow for this sort of thing, you know, where Xerox strategy is widely supported and we've got all of these inexpensive, just inexpensive spells gen generally, inexpensive counter magic and inexpensive cantrips and cycling, just as you described, this card's great and you're going to be able to slam it relatively early. And it sounds like that's your experience even in retail limited, which is going to be an environment that's not tuned in quite the same way for this sort of thing. I don't know about you, but I still love some some hoary old creatures like uh, the Tombstalkers of the world, Gurmag Anglers of the world that are also just big dumb dudes, but ones that you can power out quickly if you're able to fill your graveyard and we get a bunch of fetches or whatever, or just cheap spells. And I love it. They can be real threats. I'm definitely a fan. You know, in the in the lower power sense, the names that you mentioned, um, you know, those are cards that I do enjoy specifically for that. Not well, they're also just very clean cards on text. Like the Gurma Gangler is a big old five five. The uh, the mana value is seven, but you, know, you could easily cast it for one mana after exiling your graveyard. And I do like Murktide region as a card in the higher level powered you know, cubes as well. So, Yeah, Murktide region is a, is a beating. That's in Petty Nobility, and I'm actually thinking I maybe should take it out of Petty Nobility because I think it's, it's just sort of too good. And when you've all of a sudden got this 8-8 dragon with evasion, that's just, it can be very difficult to interact with there. I, I think I missed that going through... The, the list um yeah i'm actually, yeah i'm kind of surprised to hear that you might have you might have 
substitute it for ethereal forger which well i'm so smart that i don't even remember how smart i am so just before kubecon i made some like last minute changes and that that's totally great that was one of the things that was pissing me off about it and i was like before i'm taking <laughs> this to, to wisconsin <laughs> we're gonna put ethereal forger in there which is also I, I mean sort of a similar card too to some we've been describing i mean that's a similar card right it's got delve um and then and it does things whatever it's cool it's a cool card too I, I think Ethereal Forge is probably a more interesting. Um, I, I kind of hate using that word, but you know, where you know the, the Merc Tide, you're building a game where that you know that card basically just finishes the game. Yeah, you just get a big O you know, dragon for. I'm using bunny quotes here, cheap, um, because you built your deck to be that way. But Ethereal Forger, I mean, you're you know, you all you you just get a three three flyer you know it's basically a phantom monster but for two blue mana but there's that possibility where you go to combat your opponent's thinking okay what did my opponent exile what are they going to cast that might change the game and does the game you know is the game still um worthwhile to go on after you know this combat happens and this attack trigger goes on so i think that adds a you know different layer of gameplay versus all right, I play this 8-8. Eight, eight. I'm going to swing. Do you have a blocker? No? Okay, let's go to game two, you know? Yeah. So I think there's value to that. I'm with you. So moving to black, um, starting off with cut down. This is an instant for one black, and it reads destroy target creature with total power and toughness five or less. Very clean kill card. Um, I think you know, there's a lot that's been said about this Um for as long as this card's been out. I don't know the numbers for your cubes. I know that you've ran the numbers for your cubes, so you know this a little bit better than uh, I do. Uh, I think this is being one mana instant, which is great, you know, kills at least most of the important or at least early stuff that comes on. It's like a black bolt against your opponent's Birds of Paradise or Land of War Elf. Um, it's, um, this, is, this is good, and it's cute in that it's one mana it still has some restriction but can be powerful nonetheless love the card i love inexpensive interaction we're all shocked to learn i'm sure i'm the i'm the guy mm -hmm. who run like every volcanic hammer known to man fire ambush what a card yeah so yeah i love inexpensive interaction in black and i ran a whole gamut of it in Alasis, and i did run the numbers as you say in the description to our podcast i'll I can put a link to that tweet that has an infographic. And I so I compared Ulcerate, Fatal Push, Vendetta, Cut Down, and Disfigure. Of these, Cut Down was the fourth best. So that may not sound great. However, in Eliasis, in this particular environment, right, that I'm comparing it to, Cut Down hits 77% of the creatures in the environment. I mean, wow, that's a, that's a lot. More than three quarters of the creatures in the environment. So it seems good. Seems good. Yeah, play it. And it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have any silly, like, you can't target black creatures or you can't target artifacts or, or anything. You can just hit stuff provided the power and toughness add up. I'm running cut down in Cartographia. So I've gotten a chance to play it there a good bit. One thing that my infographic doesn't get at is... So Ulcerate, for instance, is my top performer. It's a single black instant target creature gets minus three, minus three until end of turn, and you you lose three life. 
that hits 84% of the creatures in the cube, which is a ton. It's secretly even better than cut down in the sense that... I think so, because that minus three, minus three, the shrinking thing is actually super relevant. So cut down, it either kills something or it doesn't kill something. Like it's able to target something or it's not able to target something, right? Ulcerate can target whatever you want. So you can get in a combat situation. I mean, I suppose this is dead obvious. And like they've got a five, five and you've got a three, three and you block their five, five with your three, three and you ulcerate the thing. And all of a sudden their five, five is a two, two and you still manage to kill it then. Like ulcerate, ulcerate can punch above its weight with help in a way that cut down is never going to be able to do. That's true. I will say I do like that dynamic. Yeah, it's a nice gotcha moment. Next up is Cult Conscript. This is a creature skeleton warrior for a black. It's a 2-1. When uh, Cult Conscript enters the battlefield tapped, or one in a black, you may return Cult Conscript from your graveyard to the battlefield. Activate only if a non-skeleton creature died under your control this turn. I think this seems pretty apt in Alasis, but I am not sure what it would replace as Alasis is almost filled to the brim with, you know, <laughs> one mana or one black mana, two ones with, you know, varying come back into play abilities and different versions of can't block or enter the battlefield capped, but I'm counting one, two, three. I guess Gravecrawler counts four. So those are those are the ones I see that have a similar, you know, come back from the dead. And then I one mana two ones and Diagraph Ghoul's a one mana two two. And then Lacerator's just a one mana two two. So yeah, you've got eight one drops with uh, no seven one drops with two power. The Knight of the Ebon Legion snuck in there. That's a great card, by the way. I love the design yeah, on that and the playability. But really, you've got seven of these one mana two drop two one mana two power creatures. Um, why not? Why not another one? Yeah, we support black aggro. I keep threatening to take black aggro back out again and put reanimator in again because I kind of. Oh, no. this, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but black aggro is still in there. This is a great black aggro card. It used to be black aggro wasn't really. Uh, uh, I mean, it was just extremely difficult to support in cube. We're talking like five years ago or whatever. But Watsy keeps printing cards for us, and that's great. So this guy's a good one. And then you flagged another guy, also a good one, and honestly, probably an even better one. So Evolve Sleeper is a creature human for a black, and it's a 1 1. It has three activated abilities. First one for a black. Evolved Sleeper becomes a human cleric with base power and toughness 2-2. For a generic and a black, if Evolved Sleeper is a cleric, put a death touch counter on it, and it becomes a Phyrexian human cleric with base power and toughness 3-3. And then, for a generic black black, if Evolved Sleeper is a Phyrexian, put a plus one plus one counter on it, then you draw a card and lose a life. Once you get up to level 3, you just got a great mana sink to draw cards and have a creature that becomes just a little bit more tough to kill in combat. This card this card is great in whatever you put it in. I really, really like this design. Nice um, mono black figure of destiny. Mono black figure of destiny. You can level at instant speed, which is sweet, which is true of figure, but not true of like... Um, oh, student of warfare. I mean, this is a minor point, but student of warfare... Uh, with that level up ability that can only be done at sorcery speed. This guy, you can level up whenever. 
It's also sort of cute. I don't know how super relevant this is, but you can keep triggering that last ability if you want. If you've got just mana lying around, you can keep dumping three into him and drawing a card and putting a counter on him. It's nice. Next one is also really great, in my humble opinion. Um, this is Shieldred the Apocalypse. This is a legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor, for two generic and two black. It's a 4-5 with Death Touch, and whenever you draw a card, you gain two life. And whenever an opponent draws a card, they lose two life. This card is absolutely busted. Um, you just open this, and you build a black deck. And as specifically in Dom United, this was um, this is a great card. And what's also kind of nice, it's it can be dealt with, but yeah, but it's going to cost you the longer it takes because if you're on the opposing side, just taking the game action of drawing a card, you lose two life. So you're already on a clock and your opponent is gaining life whenever they draw a card. So the divide becomes wider as turns go on. So it just has to be dealt with um, immediately, which I think Elasis would probably have many ways to deal with it i'm not sure if petty nobility would no i don't think it fits there no i think it's too busted there yeah i think and i was gonna say i i do have a soapbox thing i still can't get over that this isn't a five five and i I, i'm just thinking you know what what what's the deal it's got all this other stuff on it why can't it just be a five five they made it a four five it just looks ugly, John. I'm sorry, I can't get over it. I keep thinking, oh, is this violate the spirit of the reserved list? Did they think, no, there's no way we could make a card that's more powerful than Juzam Jin. Um, we can't just have another four mana, five, five creature. Um, if we do, it has to deal two damage to you arbitrarily every upkeep. You know I mean, they just made this card and they made it a four five. I'm, I'm sorry. It's probably the short version of what I have to say about it. I could go on, but <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Shieldred's great, and um, I do see where this is you know, not not an easy fit for um, yeah you have going. I think it might be you know, too strong in Petty Nobility and maybe not strong enough in Elasis. Yeah, I'm with you. Like my reservation about her, I fully grant that she's a very powerful card and a card that can be like super obnoxious to play against. But then on the other hand, also a Baneslayer and in Elasis, that can is um, that's something that can be punished. Card that just like you resolve her and she does stone nothing, that's not that's not great. Opponent could answer her right then and there, or opponent draws a card and loses two life and then kills her. I mean, you know, I guess she's done a little something, but we're not getting we're not getting super excited about that, probably. I, I know the comparison of, you know, Baneslayer versus yeah, Mull Drifters, but that's a uh, principle I tend to either forget or in a way just put to the side just for, you know, Whatever, whatever machinations I, I have when you know, yeah, putting yeah. a cube together, I mean, playing it's yeah. simplistic, right? It's it's certainly not it has, doesn't have to be taken as gospel, but it's a shorthand way of reading cards. And I do know people who quite like it, like um, our friend Chill MTG. He does. He likes that card. Yeah, he does. And he came around on it. I haven't talked with him at length about it, but I remember talking with him about the card early on during spoiler season, and we were both a little like, eh. You know, seems fine. But I know that since he's played with it and I guess maybe Moto Vintage Cube or some environment like that, he's come um, he's come around quite a bit and he's a big fan now. 
All right. The last black card is a saga. It's the Cruelty of Gex. It's an enchantment saga for three generic and two black. It has read ahead. You choose a chapter and start with that many lore counters. Add one after your draw step. Skip chapters don't trigger. Sacrifice after chapter three. Chapter one reads, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a creature or planeswalker card from it. That player discards that card. Chapter two, you search your library for a card, put that card into your hand, then shuffle, you lose three life. In chapter three, you put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. It's an expensive saga. There is a story in it if you are doing, you know, chapter one, there's that possibility of, you know, you look at your opponent's hand, maybe you pick their best thing, and two turns later, you get to reanimate it. You know, I think that's probably pretty cute in Petty Nobility, but um, it, it just does a lot of you know, different things. And having the read ahead, you get to choose your own story, so to speak, as far as how you want to you know, play this out. So um, it could just be a five, five mana reanimate spell, which you know, in this case, it, it reanimates you know, from, from either graveyard. It's not just yours. It you know, could be the best thing in your opponent's graveyard, too. But maybe there's some value in you know, tutoring the, the turn before if you really need to. But it's got some options. Um, I think I've only seen one game where it was you know, punishing to start at chapter one and then they had to go to chapter two and lose the three life and it did you know set that you know player back yeah you know, a bit and they had to play a little bit more carefully just to stay in the game i think you could just read the last chapter and the card looks sort of fine like in petty nobility i'm running a reanimator package but it's designedly a slower one because we're supposed to be not killing people on turn one darn it we're not you know we're not going yeah we're not going Entomb Reanimate or anything. Um, so I do run stuff like, I run four mana reanimation spells like Zombify. And at four mana, I'm only running things that hit your own yard. And then once you get to five mana, I permit the like reanimate anything thing. So I've got currently, I guess, just Necromantic Summons in there, which is a five mana sorcery that returns any creature from any yard and you can put counters on it and whatever. So this thing is that, right? Like it could be a necromantic summons sort of card, but obviously it can be all these other things as well beforehand. So that's super cool. I like it. That's a neat, neat card. Thank you. We pause for a moment to recognize the charitable organization that this podcast is supporting. Stephen Conifal has chosen our charity today, which is the Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. This organization has been around since 1983, and it raises money for 170 hospitals all across North America in support of their children's care. Stephen Conifal is a pediatric intensive care nurse, and I know no one as dedicated as he to the health and welfare of the youngest and most vulnerable among us. The Children's Miracle Network Hospitals Group supports Stephen's organization, but it also supports many more organizations beyond his. I'm donating all of my ad revenue since my last podcast to the Children's Miracle Network Hospitals, and I hope that you'll consider a donation as well. All right, so moving on to red. First off is Shivan Devastator. This is a uh, creature dragon hydra for red and X. It's a zero zero with flying haste, and Shivan Devastator enters the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on it. 
I think this is a pretty good threat at any cost. It has haste, so you know this could be a three mana two two haste if you really need it to. But it gets better as the game goes on. I kind of jokingly said, you know, one of my favorite very simple dragons actually comes from Mirage. It's a volcanic dragon. It's four generic and two red for a dragon. That's a four four with flying haste, and that's it. That's the end of it. So for this for the same amount of mana, you cast Shivan Devastator, you get a five five flying <laughs> haste, but then which is strictly better than Volcanic Dragon. But then for five mana, you get a four four flying haste, and it's still strictly better yeah. than yeah. Volcanic Dragon. That's true. Yeah, you know, two things though. Um, I noticed that they I did not see any X spells in red for your in your environments, and I'm kind of quickly going through the you know, cartographia, and I don't I also don't see that you know, as well. And the other thing, one of the first things um, my friend Mike Bergoli had mentioned is that this isn't a card that you can really reanimate um, with. So if if it goes to the yard, you know you know, it's effectively a zero zero. So this is only as good as you, know, you can cast it. That being said, you know, it's, um, you know, this is a card that fails up. If you need to play it as a three, three bozo, you can do that if you need to, but you know, it's uh, good flexibility. Yeah, it is. I, I appreciate that flexibility. I really like things that scale like this. The haste is super nice. It just hits them. The counters could be a thing and petty nobility, right? The plus one plus one counters. Uh, for sure, yeah. It's a card that I think in Petty Nobility I'd actually be slightly concerned about, j just for how it can have this keyword big. You know how in environments, at least this is the way I think about environments often, I, I tune them to specific power and toughnesses often. Not that everything has to have that power and toughness, but there's kind of a default power band that things fall in and that things don't exceed except on rare occasions. And I think this is especially important for flyers just because flyers are so darn hard to interact with, right? So my threshold for flyer toughness is typically four because otherwise they can just get too hard to kill and like things don't rumble in the air very well. And Shivan Devastator, wow, could just totally blow past that, although albeit with, you know, a fair amount of mana investment in it. The X and a red, I see what you mean about how this is better than Volcanic Dragon at all these different rates. It's also, here I'm thinking more in power max terms, like the card is fine. But I mean, the rate isn't actually quite as good as you might want it to be in modern power max, you know, like where we would prefer to get square stats or even better. Certainly in green, we can find options for doing things that are going to be better statted. Even like green spells, there's a spell, Wild Call, that I don't think gets enough love. Wild Call, it's a sorcery from Fate Reforged. It costs X, green, green. And it says manifest the top card of your library and then put X plus one plus one counters on it. So at, at minimum, you're getting a bear right? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're getting a manifest, right? And then any mana you dump into it beyond that, it's going to scale linearly. So if you drop 10 mana into the thing, you're going to get a 2-2 two, two with 8 counters on it, and you're going to have a 10-10. Ten, ten. Plus, it's a manifest. So like you could have something cool under there that you flip, and it's got 8 counters on it, <laughs> on, it <laughs> on it now, you know? I don't Seems know. Seems gross. 
Yeah, seems gross. So we are paying for the flying in haste here by being like slightly less mana efficient than we might like it to be in terms of converting that mana into stats. All right, next one is Electrostatic Infantry. This is for this is a creature dwarf wizard for generic and red. It's a one-two with trample. And whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, put a plus one plus one counter on electrostatic infantry. This is a pretty strong include for the red blue spells deck. Um, it has the pseudo prowess, but you get a plus one plus one bonus or you get a good advantage in the um, combat at that point but this is a very simple but you know effective spell to get on the field that can could potentially get out of hand or require an answer hell yeah that's cool i like it a lot and it's got all that trickiness that's implicit in the prowess type effects where you can be in combat and then surprise you cast a whatever and then your things grow i love the um, it interacts with plus one plus one counters and that that it's like prowess but it sticks around all oh, that's super cool and i was playing with my kid earlier in that blue deck that he beat me over the head with he was playing stuff like jeskai sage as well which is nice yeah one and a blue for a one one creature who's got prowess and when he dies, he draws a card. So there's that. There's there's that upside. But this thing, except for that drawing a card, just makes Jeskai Sage look kind of embarrassing, right? Because like the stats are better to begin with. The prowess thing sticks around. It's got trample. Wow. All right. Next card is Yapamaya Steel Crusher. It's a creature ape warrior for a generic and a red. It's a two-two with enlist, and it has one mana sacrifice Yapamaya Steel Crusher to destroy target creature. So this is a shatter that attacks and blocks. Um, it's cute. I like the, as I said, I do like the enlist mechanic, but I'm not really sure where it fits into your design sensibilities. I do run cards like this. We've got versions of it that aren't like 100% the same, but there's stuff like Goblin Crater Maker, which is a super sweet card. One and a red for a 2-2. You can pay one and sack him, and either he deals two damage to a creature or he destroys a colorless non-land permanent. That's right. I think I kind of like that card a little bit better. Man, you know, <laughs> yeah. Think about it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I might as well, although it doesn't have the enlist thing, of course. And there's been some other kind of takes on this. Like, um, there's a really... There's a card from Eldraine, I think, had the adventure mechanic. And I think when it goes on an adventure, it is a shatter, and then you can play it as a creature. Oh, yeah. that's. I think it's you know, it was a battle display is the adventure part. And then, yeah, I forget the name of it. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I love this idea. And I mean, this is something I bang on about and that I'm, I'm, I'm sure isn't news to you and something that you are sympathetic to as well. But it's hard for me to justify as I'm building a deck, putting like literal naturalize or literal shatter or whatever in the deck, unless I'm in a specific environment, in which case that, you know, if I'm playing the artifact cube, then obviously you main deck the shatter, you know, obviously. But in most cube environments, I would like access to that effect, but I don't want to main deck it, <laughs> you know? So I love these effects, like this guy you're calling out here, the Yavimaya Steel Crusher, that it's a bear with some other upsides, but also it's a shatter. That's that's great. That's how I want to take my shatters. 
Yeah, we'll have to talk more about the idea of naturalized when we get to tear asunder in the gold section, which mm-hmm. I know, you know, I'm, I'm actually kind of looking forward to. But anyway, moving along to Jaya Fiery Negotiator. This is a Planeswalker Jaya for two generic and two red. It has four loyalty counters, and for plus one loyalty, you create a 1-1 one, one red monk creature token with prowess. Yes, yes, a red 1-1 one, one with prowess. I love it. Right. Yeah. Like right off the bat, just um, just make a cre- just makes a creature that in theory defends itself. Minus one. You exile the top two cards of your library. You choose one of them. You may play the, that card this turn. Uh, minus two. Choose target creature and opponent controls. Whenever you attack this turn, Jaya Fiery Negotiator deals damage equal to the number of attacking creatures to that creature. In minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever you cast a red instant or sorcery spell, copy it twice. You may choose new targets for the copies. It's got a lot going on. It's a four ability planeswalker, but I think really the things that kind of caught my attention are really just the first two abilities of being able to create a one one creature that has prowess or the minus one of being able to kind of look at the top two and play the best one of those two um you know, just kind of go back and forth between those two the other stuff the ultimate you know i think in a red deck if you're still in the game four or five turns after this hits the table you know, i'm not sure what the red deck is doing if it hasn't won already right. the, uh, the 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 third ability the minus two um just a little just a little wordy um, so I'm almost looking at this Planeswalker just for the first two abilities of just being able to put some feet on the ground or just making your draws a little bit better. Yeah. Oh, I'm with you. Uh, this looks great. I haven't gotten to play with her at all, but I'm very much looking forward to it. So to me, this is entirely theory crafting, but she looks excellent. I'm very excited. She doesn't look to me to be better than... Our sort of litmus test for four mana red planeswalkers, which is Chandra Torch of Defiance. But she looks like a good complement to Chandra. I love that she protects herself and she protects herself with these creatures that have prowess, which is super sweet and which obviously we're all about. Trigger the kind of deck that wants Jaya. And then, yeah, she draws you cards. I mean, it's not exactly draws you cards, but it's close enough, especially because it's play a card rather than cast a card, which is important because it means you can play a land, right? Absolutely. And then, yeah, the minus two. I don't like totally know how to evaluate that in a vacuum, but it. I mean, it seems like it has to be good. It can either straight kill something or debilitate something in a way that makes blocks bad for that creature. They've got some scary 6-6 six, six and... You ping it for three or whatever, and then all of a sudden, whatever it blocks, it's it's gonna die. Or you know, I don't know. Like I could imagine this being good, even if it's not a straight one eight seven necessarily. It looks exciting. It's for loyalty when it comes down. I like it. Have you played with this card at all, or played against the card? For better or worse, I've not played with it or played against it. Um, so so I really don't have any actual you know, data input or experience to kind of throw in there yeah for me it's all like in my head and it's all theoretical Mm -hmm. but like in your head you like her i i do i i I do i think even just being able to put a you know a one one monk is um there's some value to it in in a red deck you know just having the prowess is um you know that's pretty significant and 
like I said, just a very, very simple you know, stuff, just like looking at the top two abilities. The last red card is another saga. This is the Elder Dragon War for two generic and two red. It's an enchantment saga. It has read ahead. Chapter one, the Elder Dragon War deals two damage to each creature and each opponent. Chapter two, discard any number of cards, then draw that many of cards. Chapter three, create a 4-4 red dragon token with flying. I um, I have played this card. I do like it. I don't know how punishing it is to be in the red deck if you're low to the ground and you start off on chapter one and basically nuke your board if it means nuking your opponent's board. But worst case scenario, it's a four mana, four, four dragon, um, which is not too exciting. But, you know, I have played it from chapter one through chapter three, and it has, you know, it has done work for me just to be able to kind of clear the ground shocking the opponent is not nothing also not exciting but it's not nothing and then just being able to clean up my hand a bit as far as stuff that i'm not casting or maybe i'm land flooded or whatnot just being able to draw a new batch of cards i think red does a lot of like thrill of possibility or tormenting voice where you basically cast a card pitch a card to draw two cards or at the max like draw two cards after pitching here you know i've had just awful hands and then just played this and it's like all right i'm gonna pitch five cards and draw five new cards and it has been totally serviceable i think it's a sweet card i've gotten to play with this a good amount actually in the context of cartographia because it's an enchantment it's a red enchantment that can do some cool stuff I haven't actually used it in its whip flare mode very much, that first chapter. I usually skip that one, probably because if I'm do, trying to do enchantment kind of things, then like I've got some silly little, silly little things that are going to die to that baby wrath. The discarding, obviously that's sweet in an aggro deck, but also we can well imagine how we can make use of that for other purposes, like for reanimator or something, or for fueling delve, or in cartographia. Uh, I pitch lands all the time, which is like what you would sort of naturally want to do um, when you're looking for action, but that but pitching lands can be rewarded in other ways and can contribute to other strategies in this cube in particular where we've got stuff like crucible of worlds and you know oh yeah ways of recurring lands and stuff or my favorite is a uh, splendid reclamation is three and a green it's from um from eldrick moon yeah, it's just reprinted in crimson bow too yeah yes right and you return all lands from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped <laughs> cartography what, good. A, you know, what a beating that card is right we've got all these landfall triggers and stuff and you know we make a million bears with titania or whatever the thing is it's and and then there's the third mode which as you say you can skip directly too so i mean if you want it to be it can be a four mana four four flying dragon which is super sweet or you can do you can find some action on your way to getting to the dragon i think the card is not extraordinarily powerful like i don't think this probably goes in a vintage cube or whatever i don't think it honestly probably goes in aleasis either definitely not aleasis it's a super sweet card and it, it goes in cartographia and it's very good there i think it does a lot of sweet things for the environment all right, moving on to green, we have Neshoba Brawler. This is a creature cat warrior for a generic and a green. It is a star three with trample, and it has domain. 
Neshoba Brawler's power is equal to the number of basic land types among lands you control. So this is kind of going into the Baneslayer category. It is a creature, um, and it's probably more comparable to a Tarmogoyf, but it's a domain Tarmogoyf, which I think um, has seen better days. I don't think it's necessarily in vogue in Cube. I'm not saying that's you know, a bad thing. It's just, you know, it just is what it is. But if you're you know, tasting the rainbow, as I say, this can be a pretty powerful two drop if you're you know getting hitting your triumphs i mean this could very well be a three three for two mana and eventually be a four three or a five three at the max and it has trample that's not that's not nothing so i mean if you're in trample matters this is um this is good right so if you care about zoo this card is awesome and in cartographia i i do care about zoo and i've got you know, wild nacodles and so on, and loam lions in that environment, and this fits in brilliantly. And like you can, you can have a five-three trampler that you paid two mana for, and that's not difficult. You can even have a turn two five-three, like that's not insane. And playing Cartographia, there's been multiple games wherein I've played a turn two Scion of Draco, which is that twelve mana artifact. Here, I guess I should just read it. The cost reduction. Uh, according to domain, you know what I'm talking about. Do you remember this card? Yeah, I think it's yeah, I think it's um, from Modern Horizons two. Um, yeah, Sign of Draco. It's from exactly Modern Horizons two. It costs twelve generic mana for a four four, and it's it does a bunch of stuff. Like it's not actually an oppressive card on its own. Thank goodness. Like it's a four four flyer, which is good on turn two. It's very very good, but it's not like necessarily auto win the game good. Although it does do other things. But the point is, the spell costs two generic mana less to cast for each basic land type among the lands you control. So in Cartographia, it's not insane to play a Tundra and then on turn one and then on turn two fetch up a Triome that's gonna solve the rest of your colors or something. Well, I guess. That's backwards because the triome enters tapped. But I'm 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 picking up what you're putting down though. Yeah. Absolutely. I see where I'm going with this. Two times. I'm proud of myself. Two times I have played Scion of Draco on turn two, and that feels very good. <laughs> and if it sticks, all your colored creatures, you know, just get the benefit depending on that, which I imagine is really just sort of you know, icing on the cake. Ultimately, two mana four four flyer is just okay, what do you got? How's the game go from here? So Put your opponent on a clock. Right. And like that cat warrior, like there's a world in which he's even better, I suppose, if you're playing a two mana five three and the opponent's having trouble answering it. It's got even another point of, of power. Anyway, yeah, that's a cool card. But you you have to care about zoo. Because if that's not a deck in your environment, then obviously this is not a card for you. Totally. Uh next one is Quirion Beast Caller. This is a Creature Dryad Warrior for a generic and a green. It's a 2 2. And whenever you cast a creature spell, put a plus one plus one counter on Quirion Beast Caller. When Quirion Beast Caller dies, distribute X plus one plus one counters among any number of target creatures you control, where X is the number of plus one plus one counters on Quirion Beast Caller. So this is a callback to Quirion Dryad that got bigger whenever you cast a white spell, a blue spell, a black spell, or a red spell. But this cares about. Creature spells, which is absolutely more in line with um, what green does. It plays creatures, and whenever you play a creature, it gets bigger. And there's a payoff if 
this dies in combat, it dies to removal. If you've got other creatures in play still, it's going to give those creatures a boon. And in an environment that cares about plus one, plus one counters, this seems to be a worthy inclusion. Yeah, super cool. I love it. It's a slam dunk in Petty Nobility. It's an awesome um, Arcbound Ravager, uh, the like modular, modular kind of thing, but for green and for things that aren't artifacts, right? Yeah, so it plays nicely with that whole suite of stuff and like Ozolith and all, the, all these kinds of things where we can do cute things with counters and move them around. All right, next up is Lanawar Green Widow. This is a creature spider that costs two generic and a green. It's a 4-3 with reach and trample. It also has domain for activated ability of seven generic and a green. Yeah, this is a lot of text. Bear with me. A return Lanawar Green Widow from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. It gains, if this permanent would leave the battlefield, exile it instead of putting it anywhere else. This ability costs one generic less to activate for each basic land type among lands you control. Three mana, four, three. Reach and trample. Pretty good value just right off the bat. I, I'm a fan of this. Um, kind of surprising for a spider because typically these are designed to be more defensive. You know, classic giant spiders, a two, four with reach that costs three and a green. Yeah, so, I mean, in theory, you're thinking that creature's going to hang back, but this card is definitely built to smash, and it can also come back. And if you're tasting the rainbow, as I've been saying, this can cost less. And the activated ability, you know, it costs eight to activate, but assuming the floor is a cost seven total, if you have forests, in your cartographia, you're taking five mana off of that. So you're, in theory, could be putting this back into play for two and a green if I'm doing my math correct, which is um, nothing to scoff at. And it can be done at instant speed too. So it's not going to be a surprise blocker because it does return to the field tapped, but you still have that opportunity to replay it. Yeah, just um, just some good value in the right build. Yeah, that's true. I can totally see that. And we were talking about how in Petty Nobility, I've got the sort of rule about four toughness flyers. So here's this spider with reach that has four power. Hmm, that lines up. That lines up pretty well. It is uh, super annoying, though, at least to me personally, that you can't keep recurring the thing, right? It exiles after the first time you bring it back. That's weak. Free the spider. Let the spider come back. <laughs> Let it do spider things. All right, next one. This is a good one. This is Defiler of Vigor. This is a creature Phyrexian Worm for three generic and a two green. It's a 6-6 six, six with Trample, and as an additional cost to cast green permanent spells, you may pay two life. Those spells cost one green less to cast if you paid life this way. This effect reduces only the amount of green mana you pay. Whenever you cast a green permanent spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. This card is just gross because <laughs> it, ju it, it just is. Just on rate, it's a five mana, six, six with trample. So that's 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 pretty tough to deal with. After that, you know, whether you just pay your green creature spells on retail or you take advantage of paying the life to pay your creature spells, even a late game Llanowar Elf just makes your team bigger by plus one plus one you know permanently and that includes the defiler you know itself so it makes itself a seven seven um this seems like a very 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 strong card and it is almost unbeatable at least in dom limited 
Yeah, I guess the only saving grace is that it costs five, which isn't like totally insane, but it is a little bit up the curve. Um, but that is, yeah, it's a powerful ability getting to put counters on stuff anytime you cast stuff. I guess another pressure on the card and the power of that ability is the fact that it has to be a, a green spell you're casting and a green permanent. So there are some restrictions here, which is good. So I see that attenuating the power of the thing a little bit. Yeah, I can totally see what you say, that that's gross. It seems like a better version of those host of cards we have that lets you put a counter on something when they enter the battlefield, like Renata, Collar of the Hunt or whatever, and Grumgully the Generous, and oh yeah, that unicorn in Selesnia, all of those cr creatures that just say... I, I like all those creatures, absolutely. Yeah, right. This guy, like isn't that instead he's doing that kind of idea to your team whenever you're casting spells so yeah very good i can i can see that being a sweet card this was a cycle as i recall with this cost reduction in colored mana giving foe for exian mana to mana to stuff i don't remember what the whole cycle does but i remember as i was kind of skimming the green one looked like it was the best of the bunch by by quite a bit it is. And I think probably the one that I thought was the weakest was actually the red Kavu. Um, it, it was just um, the four mana, four, four that effectively pinged um, anything whenever you cast a red permanent spell, which is, which is not you know, terrible, but it's just kind of, it just kind of felt a little underwhelming i guess i mean you know you could probably snipe a soldier token or just dumb the opponent for one but just in comparison it was just kind of not on the same rate as um this card uh next one is actually this is the last green card this is herd migration this is a sorcery for six and a green so this is pretty expensive it has domain which reads you create a 3-3 beast creature token for each basic land type among lands you control it also has, for a generic and a green, discard herd migration, search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle, and you gain three life. If you're playing the domain deck, or if you're playing with all the five land types, this is for seven mana, you've got 15 power on the board. Barring, barring any board wipes, you know, this is going to be tough to deal with still pretty expensive so this is you know if you're playing this card for its base value you're in for the long game but it does have that side quest of you know if you need to pitch it or if for some reason the game life is gonna keep you in the game you get your basic land you gain three life and you kind of move on i i'm a fan of this card yes this was a card you won't be shocked to learn i also put in cartographia <laughs> Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Makes a lot of sense there. I didn't play with it a huge amount, but a little bit. And I did actually cast it in its primary mode. I sort of expected actually that, like we were talking about earlier with the cycling cards, I sort of expected it mainly to be cast, at least by me, in that second mode where you discard it and you tutor up a land. And maybe if I played with it more, that would happen more often. But I was often playing it as, you know, for seven mana and putting five three threes in play, and that's... That's cool, and that's difficult to deal with. Although Cartographia, unlike Petty Nobility, does have sweepers, and so opponents can just clear the board on you. Anyway, I think it's a sweet card. I don't think it's like an auto-include in any environment, even 
in an environment that goes in hard for domain like cartographia does because seven is a lot but i do love love that it has that second mode because otherwise the card would be garbage i think right totally basic land cycling that works really well with my predilections too like in petty nobility in the upper division of my green section, everything has cycling. Like Titanoth Rex, it costs nine mana, that's dumb, but it's got cycling for two. Crows and Tusker costs seven mana, but you can cycle it for three. Greater Sandworm costs seven mana, you can cycle it for two. Rampaging Hippo, you know, you can cycle it. Greater Tanuki, you can cycle it. Great, great cards. <laughs> yeah. Especially the Tusker. Tusker is yeah, especially cool because you're not only cycling it, but you're also tutoring for the land. Similar, similar card to this one that we're looking at. And I just love that flexibility so that if you have Tusker in your opening hand, you don't have to, like that's not an auto mole if the rest of your hand looks kind of iffy because, you know, if you can at least get yeah, the three. it's a green divination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. I'm with you. That makes this, that makes this card. All right, so we're going to go into the pseudo gold. We're going to start off with Phyrexian Missionary. Two, this is a creature Phyrexian Human Cleric for a generic and a white. And it's a 2-3 with lifelink. It also has kicker for a generic and a black. When it enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. In, in white, it's basically a slightly above rate lifelinker. It's a two mana, 2-3 two, with lifelink which is you know, pretty sweet, very simple. I like that. If you're in the white-black deck and you draw the slate, you get to basically cast a Gravedigger that has lifelink and you get the best thing that's in your graveyard hopefully you know be able to put it back into the battlefield i think this is i think this is cute i'm a fan of this card i like playing this card too okay cool yeah i think this is a cute card you have to either be in the life gain deck a or you have to be in orzov b right to want to play this card so maybe that makes it kind of narrow because otherwise you know in just some random white deck you're not necessarily putting a two mana two three with lifelink into the end of the deck right totally but i like that it adds up to those things and i like too that it's possible that you could not even exactly splash black but imagine if you will that you're <laughs> in an Azorius deck <laughs> maybe you care about life right you've got phyrexian missionary you happen to pick up this uh esper triome as just some additional fixing and that's fine right like it's just you're counting it as basically a two color mana fixing land and you're totally fine with that but it happens to give you access to black too that's sweet then some percentage of the time maybe you get to kick this thing thanks to your thanks to your thing that you picked up when you've played this card have you been or any of these cards with off color kickers have you ever played these cards in a deck where you don't have reliable access to the kicker, but you just have a, like a small splash and hope to maybe sometimes you get there on the kicker? Absolutely. And sometimes I've also played these cards without the splash just because I think the rate was fine enough in given the format that it's in. So keep in mind, I'm not talking about cube or even a very specific cube, but what I love the most about these spells for the most part and again we'll get to this when we talk about terra sunder is that a lot of these just are good on their own and having access to the kicker is a nice to have but not a need to have so i've played phyrexian missionary just as a two mana two three with lifelink just being able to 
be a, essentially a, a grizzly bear, but stri- strictly better just because it's a 2-3. Having the extra toughness is not irrelevant, and lifelink just kind of slowly you know, changes the game in my favor. But other spells, like, like Tolarian Geyser, which I think is probably the best blue common in um, Dominaria United, I've just played that as just a three-mana bounce a creature draw a card because it's just 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 being able to replace itself and remove a threat is absolutely valuable and i think i was on twitter just kind of going back and forth of you know do i wish i had you know kept you know the three you know, you know i forget the name of it but it's another three mana spell in red but it dealt four to a creature or planeswalker had a white kicker to it you could gain four life so it's playing like an imitation of um you know lightning helix so to speak if you play the white but a lot of these spells are just good on their own but you can yeah but if you have the kicker it's just a uh, just nice and that's what i really appreciate about the design in these and that it's just a little bit you know it's less narrow there's a lot more flexibility to it I think these next two will get into where it's monocolored cards, but they're really, these are gold cards. So like the Phyrexian Missionary, where I could see this in a mono-white deck that doesn't need to have the black. This next card, um, I think, is a bit better with the kicker. It's a blue, blue card. This is Rona's Vortex. It's an instant for a blue, and it has kicker of two generic and a black. And it reads, return target creature or planeswalker you don't control to its owner's hand. If the spell was kicked, put that permanent on the bottom of its loaner's library instead. I think there's enough of a swath of one mana unsummon with a minor or even more than minor, I don't want to say major, upside that I think this card could be anything else. And I wouldn't necessarily think it's a automatic include, but... I do like Unsummon basically on principle. I like the different versions of Unsummon that we've you know, seen in this one, just being able to pay the kicker and be able to just kind of put it in the bottom you know, of the library and just definitely get rid of it and not see it for the rest of the game. Most likely um, is um, not something to be ignored, but this is definitely more of a blue-black spell than it is a blue spell. I ran this in, in Cartographia... This was at the suggestion of Chill, MTG, whom we were talking about earlier. Okay. In our testing on MTGO, there's a whole lot of creature lands in the format, as you might well expect. And he was playing a, a blue control deck. He was like, I don't know, blue-white or something. And he had access to Wraths and so on. And he was like, but I just cannot interact with these lands, which is a virtue of the creature land, obviously. And this is one right. why I love them so much, right? You wrath the board, you haven't dealt with the problem because the celestial colonnade or whatever it is is coming back to hit you again. So he was like, how, how about if we help blue out a little bit by giving him access to unsummons? I thought that was a super sweet idea. Being able to put him on the bottom is nice for doing an even closer imitation of a stone rain, really. Like that land is just gone now. And if they don't have another land, they are actually down a land, you know. All right. And the last fake green card I'm calling it um, is Terra Sunder. This is an instant that costs a generic and a green, and it has a kicker cost of a generic and a black. This exiles target artifact or enchantment. If the spell was kicked, exile target non-land permanent instead. I think my favorite disenchant or naturalize effect has to be Wilt. And I noticed that you run Wilt in one of your cubes. Mm. And I like it because I don't really naturally, bunny quotes, 
pun intended, um, really want to run these effects main deck, but Will gives you the option because you can literally just cycle it. You can just get rid of it if it's not going to be useful. And you can even take it out if you don't really see anything, you know, game one where you think, all right, Will would be, you know, really useful. That's kind of the, the, the hypothetical. And Terra Sunder, really, I look at this card and I really only want to play it if I'm able to splash the black because I like the idea more of just at baseline just getting rid of almost anything just a non-land thing just get rid of the strongest threat but there's the possibility of we'll call it reverse kicker where i do see that strong equipment or a saga that's going to give me trouble and i just pay the one in a green to exile it instead i mean the exiling you know just getting rid of it permanently is strong but um i i'm not sure you know what your thoughts on you yeah you, know, you like the spell or you like this naturalized effect i do i like it a lot i'm with you i love wilt that's such a good card and um I love cycling. I love drawing cards. Yeah. It's not to love about Wilt. Wilt isn't useful to you. You pitch it and you redraw. That's great. I also love naturalized effects that are tacked onto other things. Um, another one of my favorite cards of the past, however many years it's been, a couple years, is Pest Infestation, which mm. blow up a thousand things. Um, and it's scalable. And it could blow up nothing and still create a whole army of little insects for you. Pests, I mean. I like disenchants attached to other things. This thing, on the one hand, it's a more pure disenchant in its primary mode, where it's like literal disenchant, although not quite. That's not quite fair because it exiles, as you quite rightly pointed out, and that can be big game. But then if you can get access to black mana at all, then all of a sudden you've turned it into, what, like an utter end or something, which is too white-black for an instant that destroys a no that uh, exiles an on-land permanent. And that's an extremely powerful effect. So all of a sudden, this thing, if you can put black mana into it, it can answer anything. It can answer planeswalkers, and in addition to obviously creatures and stuff. And in my environments, as, as well you know, I run an awful lot of mana fixing. I've got a strong belief in mana fixing. So I haven't played that much with this card, but I can totally see myself playing a deck that's not even a, like a rock deck necessarily, a green-black heavy deck, but it's a green deck and it like splashes a little bit of black in order to do who knows what, but among which enable this second mode in Terra Sunder, which I think is quite powerful. And I'm with you in pointing out the power of the Exile, too. That does actually make the card, even in its basic mode, substantially better than Naturalize because there's so many ways that, especially artifact decks, can get up to some Wilder nonsense and stuff. Exiling, very good, right? Let's, let's keep that thing out of the yard. Absolutely. All right, three more cards. We're now in the colorless section. This next one is Karn Silex. This is a legendary artifact that costs three generic. Karn Silex enters the battlefield tapped. Players can't pay life to cast spells or to activate abilities that aren't mana abilities. And for X, tap, exile Karn Silex, destroy each non-land permanent with mana value X or less, activate as a sorcery. So this is a version of Nevenero's Disc. It costs one less to cast and it still comes into play with Summoning Sickness. Um, but it blows up a lot of stuff. However, I'm not sure how in vogue this is, and I think I'm probably 
now reminiscing on an episode of you know, like the Uber Cube podcast. And I think it was with his interview with their interview with um, Justin Parnell about should powder keg and ratchet bombs still be in cubes or you know, how playable they are. So I think they're a little bit cool on this kind of design, but this is still a colorless effect that blows up a lot of stuff. And um, I think um, is a fine kill switch for when you need to use it, or at the very least, if it's on the field, your opponent gets to play around it. But in your cubes, I think as far as that static ability goes, really the only spell that seems to be impacted would be Dismember. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. It's an extremely short list and often not going to be relevant. That's true. Um, This is cute that we're getting a colorless version of Pernicious Deed, I guess, effectively. Something close to that. Activate only as a sorcery. That's kind of interesting. You know, gives you a timing restriction that makes it a little worse than it might otherwise be. I I think for me and my particular environments, we've got such deep access to wraths across so many aspects of the color pie now that this doesn't seem as useful as it might have been at another moment in time. Although granted this does hit enchantments and artifacts and planeswalkers and whatever. So that's big game. And that's very different from like actual wrath of God. And maybe it makes it a little closer to something like um, oblivion stone or something probably going to have it find its happiest home in something like our friend dan schneider's devoid cube you know i haven't seen what changes he's made but i imagine he's gobbling up stuff like karn's (laughs) silex sounds super great Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, this set has been out for a while, so I'm sure he's caught on to that. And I'm sure right now he is uh, devouring the Brothers War with all the different artifacts that are in that. I mean, that's a that is a set that is built for him, hundred oh, yeah. percent. Yeah, for sure. It's his. It's his own custom bespoke uh, magic set coming out. All right, Golden Argosy is a four mana legendary artifact vehicle with a. Pseudo base power toughness 3-6. Whenever Gordon Golden Argosy attacks, exile each creature that crewed it this turn, return them to the battlefield tapped under their owner's control at the beginning of the next end step, and it has crew one. This seems like a good use of Blink, being able to you know, not just crew with the one creature that has one power, but you can crew with a total power of one or more. So you can crew with... I don't really, you know, the Resolute Reinforcement plus a Thraben Inspector plus Argivian Cavalier plus really anything else. If you magically had those three in play and plus some other stuff, you just swing with the Argosy, they come back um, the next end step and all their ETBs trigger and you're living happy, fun times. That's cool. That is another good addition to the Blink archetype because we're like, we're we're so much better on the one hand in supporting Blink these days. Obviously, Soul Herder was a huge include, a huge add, and that's not, so that's great. And we've gotten one or two shot effects like um, Ephemerate. So, and then Braga is the classic, Braga King Eternal. And I guess there have been other classic ones like there, there's that Venser that I'm not running here because I don't have any Planeswalkers and Petty Nobility. So yeah, it's super cool to get another version of this because otherwise I'm going kind of deep on stuff like Conjurer's Closet, you know, to try to find other ways of blinking stuff or Teleportation Circle in white. So I like that. Also, this is neither here nor there, but I, I, I appreciate that we've got this allusion to Jason and the Argonauts with the 
with the golden Argosy. So it it is it is a you know, it is a great illustration for sure. And and I also like that this as a layer where combat becomes relevant. You know, I do like Conjurer's Closet as sort of a static trick where it's just literally just an end step trigger, and you can do some shenanigans with it beyond the blink. Like if you somehow control magic or somehow gain control of an opponent's creature with the closet you can blink it it comes back into play under your control and it stays under your control so it's like <laughs> you know you've got your sower you sower their guy they you conjure a closet that creature it stays in play so even if they kill the sower you know it's done so i mean there's that um shenanigans there but i like that you know you can't just this and then just get the value or not immediately but at the end step just kind of doing simple no the argosy does have to attack it doesn't have any special evasion it does have six toughness so it's going to be tough to kill in combat so it's got a, a big defense but it still adds a layer to it where there, there there is another there's an extra step to being able to crew it to make it a creature and to get the payoff that you have to kind of engage with your opponent in a way and kind of work around that. I, I think that layer is good gameplay. That's an excellent point that I hadn't really considered, that forcing you to get into combat makes game states that could otherwise be these games of solitaire where you can just like sit there <laughs> blinking your stuff and trying to ignore the opponent insofar as possible, right? And just do your player little game. And there's some just inherent value and in, in things that are inviting you to both combo, but also get into the red zone. Mm. I like it. All right. And our last card is Joda's Codex, which I'm kind of surprised given the first two artifacts were both legendary. This is a non-legendary artifact that costs five generic and it has domain activated ability of five generic tap, draw a card. This ability costs one less to activate for each basic land type among lands you control. If you're playing the domain deck, you've got your Triome and your Shock in play. You're essentially just tapping this to draw a card. This is one mana more than a Coercive Portal, but on the other hand, you don't have to go through the rigmarole of, oh, we get to cast votes. What are we doing this turn? And maybe you draw a card. This is just... No, if you're playing, if you're playing the lands that um, you need, you're tasting like all the colors of that palette. Then you are just tap, draw a card. You're drawing two cards a turn. I think this card is great. Uh, here's an aside about coercive portal. Coercive portal has just been such a part of my cube life for so long now. It feels like that I just thought that sort of everybody was on board with coercive portal, and not necessarily on board in the sense of running it, but like we all know what the darn card does. Right. Well, at KubeCon, I I realized the error of my ways because I saw there were a number of times where I was kind of wandering around as I could and watching what people were getting up to with my cubes. You know, I wanted to see what people are doing. And I saw, there were a few instances where I saw people with Coercive Portal who were having this whole discussion at the game table, right? Where like somebody would be like, so what choice do I make so that you don't get to draw a card? And the other person will be like, right. there is no choice. I'm going to, I'm just going to, the card says I draw a card, right? Like <laughs> shortcut it in that way. Anyway, Coercive Portal, um, it turns out, isn't as broadly recognized as I thought it was. And it caused some amount of confusion. This thing, yeah, it costs more 
it's possible it costs zero to draw a card, but also it's very possible that it just doesn't. Sure. And, you know, I'm a proponent of running Conqueror's Galleon pre-flipped as Conqueror's Foothold. Love that. Got a video on that. It's sort of a similar idea, except it's a land, so you don't actually have to cast it and you don't pay anything. And then it's got all these different modes uh, available to you. You can loot or you can draw or you can regrow. Anyway, I guess what I'm getting at is that Joda's Codex, I can see the value of Domain making all of this stuff cheaper, but it still costs five to cast. And then yes, it still costs like something to draw a card, unless it doesn't in very particular circumstances. I don't know. I'm kind of suspicious of this. This looks this looks expensive to me, and it looks like an enormous mana investment. I mean, even the initial five in the hope of drawing a card is kind of a lot, you know? Absolutely fair. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's a non-zero chance that this is basically not better nor worse, you know, kind of like a pseudo-equivalent to JM Day Tome, really, which is, you know, absolutely outclassed at this point in Magic's history, but... Still, you know, I think it's uh, it's got potential. I do agree, like, you know, the difference between four or five is also not insignificant either. Yeah. No, but I see what you're getting at. If you're supporting domain, if you're supporting artifacts, if you're in like a Golo stack or something, you know, like this seems like it slots right into that kind of that kind of deck, right? But also this kind of a package that a Jodas Codex offers is almost definitionally like what every planeswalker offers you as well, plus some more stuff, right? Like you're going to spend five mana and get a Planeswalker, and then you're going to do some stuff that's going to buy you a card every turn or do something else or, you know, provide you still more value in some way. But that's not going to be colorless. So there's that too as well, I guess, right? This is a colorless card. A lot of back and forth for sure, but absolutely fair. And that's all I got, man. I'm putting you on the spot, but me with your favorite card or your like two favorite cards. What are you most excited about from the set? Well, for, yeah, this is kind of cheating, but um, you know, one card that I was really excited to see was, um, you know, this is a reprint, was Impulse. I liked seeing that card reprint. I think that's probably my favorite um, blue spell that replaces itself. You know, I like the design of it in that it's two mana. You look at the top four and take the best one and put the rest uh, on the bottom. It is, I, I just have always really liked that. And I'm not just saying that, you know, it's like, oh, it came from Visions. You know, it's my favorite block from Magic's history. But, you know, just seeing that card, being able to draft it, and also just create some great value in the blue decks that I have, being able to play my Tolaring Terrors for one mana less after it, you know, you know, it's resolved some turns ago or trigger my prowess or prowess-like triggers um, and so on. From a design point, it's just, you know, it, it is a solid, balanced card that does work and I think was probably a little underestimated, you know, initially, but, you know, in the field that I was in, it, it was really great and it did what you needed to do and it really shone in the format. As far as um, new cards that were printed, I actually do really like the Night of Dawn's Light. It's a nice throwback. So the Night of Dawn's Light and its Black Mirrored pair, the um, the Night of Dust Shadow, the sort of one lets you gain one more life, the other one says your opponents can't gain life, but they're both pump knights where 
with different also static abilities of one has menace, the other has first strike. I like it as a, you know, these are good creatures on rate. It's a nice throwback to the Order of Leap Beer, Leap Beer and the Order of uh, the Ebon Hand from Fallen Empires. They didn't just print a new version of White Knight, new version of Black Knight. Another card would probably be the um, the Aether Chandler. I like a Mana War kind of effect, but this is a creature that has a lot of versatility. You know, when it hits the field, it you know, does what you need it to do at the time it comes in. Nothing too exciting, and I do think the for overall, I think the set is not necessarily a high-powered um, set in terms of like you know, like a broken rare, something that's just very egregious on right. These are just all cards that have strength in themselves. I guess I, I yeah, I'll, I'll throw in my favorite from the set just because why not? Well, I guess I'll say the runner-up is the Jaya Fiery Negotiator with whom I have not played, but I'm very excited to try her out. I feel like she's not Chandra Tor Torch of Defiance, but still very good. And then the other card is a card that I have played with. So my number one, I suppose, is that Sarah Paragon that you compared to Luris. You know, that's a very sweet card who does an awful lot of stuff. Luris is an awesome comparison. She's also maybe in a way like a very small Sun Titan or something. So smaller, but also, you know, has evasion. So that's cool. And she does get to do the thing every turn. Anyway, that's a very cool card that I've already had a great deal of fun playing with. And I anticipate having a lot more fun playing with. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Stephen. This has been an awesome tour through Dominaria United. Super helpful. I'm I'm ready to like... I'm, I'm ready to hit it. I'm ready to go to LA Assist and Petty Nobility and start sorting things out, cutting things viciously and putting new cards in. Thank you so much, Stephen. Yeah, thank you, John.